Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. In 1862, Robert E. Lee's Confederate forces invaded the North, ending at the Battle of Antietam. In 1863, he did the same, this time ending at the Battle of Gettysburg. Everyone listening to this show knows those two facts. But how did those campaigns resemble one another, and how do they differ? To look at that in detail, we turn tonight to Bradley M. Gottfried and his new book, Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. We'll talk with Dr. Gottfried in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from our usual haunts on the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University, but not representing the university, not speaking for the Thomas Harriet College of Arts and Sciences or the Department of History or anybody else, just myself. And likewise, our guest speaks only for himself, as we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, I hope everybody had a good uh, Thanksgiving, if you're in the United States, or a Canadian Thanksgiving, or whatever kind of Thanksgiving you might have, wherever you might be at the end of November 2022. That's where we are as we talk tonight. The whole world's attention has been turning to sports over the past week, uh, especially with all the, the political and moral overtones that have affected some recent matches. Uh, in particular, there was, there was the one uh, that... that I'm sure you, you, you watched, everybody saw it, uh, uh, the one, to our opponents, it was more than just a game. They think of us as the great Satan. We can't help but see them as a bastion of medieval barbarism and ignorance, and that make the good guys' victory all the sweeter, of course. Uh, but enough about the Michigan-Ohio State game last Saturday. Let's talk about the World Cup. 
Uh, the USA pulled out a 1-0 win over Iran this week to advance to the knockout round. I don't hold hopes for them to go much further, but uh, this this year's team looks much more creative and interesting than past USA men's teams, and it was it was fun to watch them. This is the scoreless draw against England was a great example of how a game can be exciting for 90 minutes without goals uh, when it's played well. It was fun to watch. We'll see how they do going forward. In non-sports news, which is why you're here at Civil War Talk Radio, there was some actual news uh, on the Civil War front uh, over the past two weeks. The Lincoln Forum was held at Gettysburg, as it is every year around the time of the Gettysburg Address, November 19th. That's an organization that's been going on now for uh, more than 20 years, 25 years maybe. Uh, Harold Holzer, who's been on this show many times, uh, Frank Williams, uh, my late friend David Long were among the people who started the organization, and they meet every year. It's a great thing to go to if, if you're able to travel that time of year. Definitely go check out the Lincoln Forum. This year they had a presentation by uh, Christopher Oakley, not the person across the hallway from me who teaches American Indian history here at East Carolina, but uh, I think he was professor at Western Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. He did some remarkable research to find out where Abraham Lincoln stood when he gave the Gettysburg Address, something that has been uh, an uncertain fact uh, for many, many years. And he used some uh, software to create a 3D model of the uh, the cemetery as it stood in November 19, 1863, by triangulating all the known photographs taken that day and came up with a conclusion that the the speaker's stand was erected pretty close to where the Park Service currently thinks it is, but not on the far side of the fence between the National Cemetery and the, the private Evergreen Cemetery, but actually in the National Cemetery grounds itself by just a, a few yards, apparently. Now, not everyone has accepted this immediately. Uh, it, it's still uh, a theory, but it's brilliant uh, to use this modern software and, and the existing photographs to come up with a, uh, a persuasive argument for where it is. So next time you're there, uh, you may be able to say you actually stood on the spot where Lincoln stood as he gave the Gettysburg Address. And the next time you're there, hopefully, will be next June. Uh, travel with Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours on this hallowed ground tour. I will be leading that. It is sometime in June. I have to look it up, but uh, it's far enough away you can make a plan. Come and join us. It is uh, a, a great fun tour. We go to many other battlefields, uh, including two we'll talk about tonight, Antietam and Gettysburg. And uh, as long as you're going to Gettysburg, you might also plan on attending the Civil War Institute uh, conference at Gettysburg College in 2023. It'll be from June 9 to 14. If you look them up on, look up Gettysburg College on your computer, find out, uh, uh, get get the information there about when and where it is, and then enter the discount code PAR, meaning you are a listener to Civil War Talk Radio, and they will give you 15% off. That is a bargain. Uh, it's a bargain anyway. So uh, come come to CWI this year and go 
take some of the free time to go to the National Cemetery and stand where Lincoln stood. In the meantime, uh, find out what's happening here at Civil War Talk Radio from www.impedimentsofwar.org. While you're there, click on the PayPal donation button because the Civil War uh, Talk Radio books and bourbon and other things fund is running low. The bourbon part of it is the books are overflowing the shelves, but uh, uh, there's always room for more of both. It's not tax deductible. Uh, you knew that uh, it's impossible to pretend otherwise, so uh, don't deduct it on your taxes, but feel free to contribute. It, it helps uh, keep the show going and uh, is much appreciated. One of the things I use the funds for on occasion is to buy a, a war game, a game simulating a civil war or other historical battle. Uh, two of my favorite uh, tradi- history Civil War games are called Campaigns of Robert E. Lee, and the other one is Army of the Heartland. They are both uh, campaign-level simulations of uh, operations in the East and the West, respectively. And I mention them tonight because they're designed by John Prados, uh, who was also a noted author. You may have read some of his books about Vietnam or the Pacific and World War II. Uh, he, was, he knew a lot. He was an expert in many things, and I'm sorry to learn that he just passed away on November 28th of 2022, and I want to acknowledge publicly how much education and entertainment I got from his games and his books over the years, going back to, I think, 1972. He designed a game on the, the communist offensive in Vietnam while it was still happening. Uh, called Year of the Rat, and I think I played that when I was in high school maybe 200 times. So uh, sorry to learn about the passing of of Dr. Prados and uh, wanted to acknowledge him on the show tonight. So getting back to uh, uh, cheerier thoughts, we'll be back next week with Donna McCreary and her new book, Mary Lincoln Demystified, and we'll end our fall season with Gary Gallagher uh, and talk about his editing of Bruce Catton's Army of the Potomac Trilogy. If you haven't already read that, uh, you've got a couple weeks to to get that done. Our guest tonight has been on before, twice before. We've talked with him about uh, his Atlas of the Gettysburg Campaign and about Point Lookout in Maryland, fascinating place. Uh, And he has written many other books and is apparently writing many more. Bradley M. Gottfried uh, returns to the show for the third time. Brad, uh, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for the invitation to come back. Well, good good to have you back. Uh, How are you doing? I looked at your blog today and and saw that you had some health issue this spring. Are you all right? Oh, yeah. It uh, wasn't COVID. It was a Mm -hmm. respiratory uh, illness that just sort of lingered for longer than I had expected that it would. But um, knock on wood, I'm fine now. Good My wife hear. and I are both retired, and it gives us opportunity to really do what we want to do. I can I can vouch for the fact that retirement is a good thing. That is, that is good to hear. Well, I, I gather you you keep busy between the books you're writing. You're also an Antietam Battlefield Guide and uh, Gettysburg Town Guide. I, 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 do I recall correctly when we talked the first time? You said you had a, a schedule where you did your writing in the middle of the night. Uh. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, it depends. Um, 
when I was working, it was approximately three o'clock in the morning that I would get up. And that's when, you know, I was a college president. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't have the opportunity at night to, uh, to be creative. And quite frankly, I'm a morning person anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's what's, and that worked out well because I'd have about three, three and a half hours of work each day. Um, after I retired, I thought, okay, I'm going to sleep in till five, six o'clock in the morning and I'm going to have the rest of the day. Nope. I still get up. Sometimes I'll be working at one o'clock in the morning. The difference is, um, I'll go back to sleep. I'll take a little nap and then I'll get back to work. So, um, it's, you know, my, my schedule is much more flexible at this point. Uh, it sounds good. The, the luxury of sleeping until 5 a.m. Is, is hard to hard to comprehend. That for people with, uh, I, I'm a night person. I will stay up late, but not not get up early. Um, so, uh, well, let me ask you about this book, uh, Lee Invades the North: Comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg Campaigns. Uh, what was the inspiration for this? What what gave you the idea to to write such a book? Well, it's interesting, Jerry. As 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 you know, um, I'm more of a map guy than anything else. Um, uh, my goal is to create a map um, book for and a map study for every campaign in the Eastern Theater of the Civil War. I'm working with uh, Sean Check on mm-hmm. Sh- on Shiloh. He's doing the text. I'm doing the map maps for that one. Um, but. Periodically, I like to stop and uh, put that aside and do other kinds of things. You were talking about Lincoln. Um, my wife and I recently had a book in the Emerging Civil War series on Lincoln comes to Gettysburg about the dedication of the National Cemetery at Gettysburg and his visit. Mm-hmm. And that new discovery is amazing. Um, what did you think really of it? Online and read it. I think it's I think it's great. Um, I think he he really nailed it. Um, I had no problem. You know, there were no second thoughts. I didn't have to scrutinize. Um, given his techniques, um, it it made perfect sense. So um, I'm right on board there. And it's interesting how um, for those people who are able to go online and read the article, um, how that that stand the speaker stand actually spans both apparently span both cemeteries you know so mm-hmm. as you mentioned where lincoln stood it definitely was the national cemetery but the back of it seems to be in the evergreen cemetery and that's where people thought he was initially you know speaking mm-hmm. no it, it, it's fascinating how he showed and it's a sort of a trapezoidal semi-circular yeah. shape with with the, uh-huh. the visitors the on, on stage radiating outward and if listeners that i saw this in new york times you could probably find it there uh there might be other places that have picked it up by now uh mm-hmm. but if you if you do some googling listeners you'll find it it um well it does show how this interest in this kind of topic never never goes out of style um and at the same time, to, to find something new to say about Lincoln or about Gettysburg mm-hmm. or Antietam is, is, is really a challenge. So uh, what um, – well, well, I guess I never answered your question. I, 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 yeah, I, guess so. I don't want to change in terms of Lincoln. Uh, to get back to your question, yeah. why I wrote this book, this right. is my, um, my pandemic book. So I've been okay. working on Second Bull Run. In fact, it's just about finished now because I went back to it after these other two projects. 
But during the pandemic, you know, we're all um, segregated. We can't really get out much. And I've written a number of books on the Gettysburg campaign, the brigades of Gettysburg, roads to Gettysburg, maps of Gettysburg, artillery of Gettysburg. So I have a pretty good idea of what happened in Gettysburg. And as you mentioned, I am an Antietam battlefield guide. I've written the maps of Antietam and um, uh, just finished editing the brigades of Antietam. So between that and being an Antietam guide, have a pretty good idea of, of both campaigns. And I don't know, it just sort of came to me one day that I've never seen anywhere a comparison of the two campaigns. Usually there's one or the other, but they're never compared. And yet um, the similarities and the dissimilarities are amazing. Um, so I thought, okay, sit down and let's, let's knock this thing out. And it just grew and grew until a book that's almost 500 pages um, and I learned quite a bit, even though I thought I knew quite a bit about both campaigns, but being able to continue to research on it um, really did help me to focus on, you know, what were similar, what was different, um, mm -hmm. what did Lee learn, what, how did the Union Army evolve? I mean, it's just some fascinating um, uh, results came out of this study. Well... I'm going to ask you about those. We'll take a short break, and we'll come right back and find out about some of these similarities and differences that we can learn from reading Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns by Bradley M. Gottfried, our guest tonight. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
talking tonight with Brad Gottfried, author of Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. Uh, Brad, before we talk about the campaigns themselves, I want to throw in a plug here for my uh, my, my colleague Michael Palmer uh, and his book called Lee Moves North that he, he wrote oh, 20 years ago at least. Um, uh, Mike was department chair when I started teaching here at East Carolina and uh, uh, shared an interest in military history. And it's a book, it doesn't compare the campaigns quite obviously as you do or in the detail you do, it's much shorter. Uh, but he does look at both campaigns and compares Lee's performance in the two of them. And uh, I just want to throw that out for listeners. If, if you want to read comparisons after you've read uh, the book we're discussing tonight, uh, there is at least one other one that does that, uh, the Palmer book. I, I don't know if that one crossed your radar or uh, uh, if um, not, it's, it's entertaining. A little bit. Um my book is is more <clears throat> to me it's it's it got into the it gets into the armies it gets into mm-hmm. the um uh the um turning points of the civil war it gets into the actual battles i mean right i th- i think uh dr palmer had a great book i think mine goes into um quite a bit more detail on some of yes. the um issues that people might be equally interested in no, very, very much. They're two very different books, but uh, uh, I, I, I hate to see Mike's book not uh, uh, just throwing in a plug for an old friend. Put it that way. So yes, I you, you, <laughs> you you start this. Uh, I mean, you address chron- the, the topics chronologically. We begin with how the campaigns uh, are initiated, uh, how they developed. So, so that's as good a place as any to start. There, uh, did the the two campaigns, the two invasions of the north develop along similar lines, primarily along different lines? What 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 struck you about how these campaigns uh, were launched? Yeah, um, in both cases, uh, supplies were a major issue for, for Lee. Um, his men were dramatically undersupplied at, at, before Antietam and before Gettysburg. And one of the things that um, Kent Brown, for instance, talks very, um, very eloquently about is, um, you know, how Lee really did need those supplies, how even during Pickett's Charge and the retreat from Gettysburg, they're still picking up tons of materials. Um, mm-hmm. That was one aspect that um, certainly were was similar in terms of launching the campaign. Uh, also... Lee realized the longer the war goes on, the less likely the Confederacy is going to be successful in gaining its independence. And um, in the case of the Antietam campaign, the Maryland campaign, I mean, we can't underestimate the impact that Second Bull Run had on the Union Army. It was it was a dramatic setback. I mean, Aunt Chancellorsville was was pretty bad as well. Mm-hmm. But the amount of demoralization of the Union Army, it's uh, how it had to be reorganized from two armies, Army of Virginia and the Army of the Potomac, into one, um, you know, with George McClellan put back in command of both forces and, you know, the new Army of the Potomac. Uh, Lee really is, is trying to pull the Union Army out of the defenses of Washington 
and um, get them into a position where they're going to follow him and uh, he can do battle. And he realizes he can't uh, attack Washington. It's just too strong. He can't remain in place. That's what happened after first bull run. He needs to move north and he needs to um, pull that Union Army up. Um, now, during the Gettysburg campaign, uh, the Union Army, even though it had been beaten at Chancellorsville, it was still in much better condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Lee didn't have a whole lot of options at that point. And for Lee, it's always a matter of taking the initiative. He did not want to be on the defensive anytime. I mean, later in the war, he's forced to. Um, but, you know, whenever he can take the offensive, he's going to do that, and he's going to do it in both campaigns. You know, as I mentioned in the book, there were some political issues um, that were really working in 1862. The midterm elections are coming up in, in November, and if the Democrats prevailed in the House, Senate, et cetera, um, you know, it might change the, the face of the war. Foreign recognition was very important. But Lee didn't talk about those things. Um, it may have been you know, the back of his mind. He talked more about the supply issue. He talked more about defeating the Union Army. Um, and uh, he especially talked about moving into Maryland and issuing a proclamation requesting, uh, suggesting that the state of Maryland um, throw down the yoke of, of Lincoln and join the Confederacy. Um, you know, you didn't have those kinds of parameters during the uh, the Gettysburg campaign. So, where where the things are different in that sense uh, between the campaigns, uh, you also look at similarities. And, and you just yeah. mentioned Lee as as comparing what he's thinking in '62 and '63. Uh, is that the constant there that we have Robert E. Lee in both uh, both campaigns? No question. Yes, that that definitely is. Uh, a similarity and one of the advantages, you know, one of the strengths of the South at that point, uh, you had a commander that had gained the respect of his men, idolized by his men, and, um, you know, showed himself to be a very able leader as opposed to the Union Army, whether it was at Antietam or at Gettysburg, um, you had a cavalcade of different leaders, and, and the men are demoralized, uh, unlike the Southerners who were very, very – their morale was very high. Never mind they didn't have enough food. They didn't may not have had shoes, but they believed deeply in their commander, and they felt that he is going to lead them to victory no matter what. Now, on the northern side, one constant is uh – in the White House, so Abraham Lincoln is the commander in chief mm-hmm. in both campaigns, and I would say your your book is not overtly critical, but I think there there's I get the impression you're not impressed with Lincoln's leadership uh, from a military point of view. Um, I am very impressed that Lincoln took the war effort very seriously. I mean, he was not going to be passive. When you think of other war presidents, um, you know, they basically leave it in the hands of their generals, whether they're competent or not. Uh, Lincoln was going to take an active role. And in many cases, he just did not have the, especially early in the war, did not have the expertise to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to judge uh, strategy and tactics um, to really formulate a, an approach to taking 
uh, Richmond or at least ending the war. And so, um, you know, initially uh, during the Gettysburg, uh, during the Antietam campaign, mm-hmm. when he brings Pope in to command the Army of Virginia, this new army, he actually is having um, Pope with him in Washington, not allowing him to take the field with his army because he needed that information. He needed that guidance. And then he brings Henry Halleck from the West mm-hmm. to be general in chief and allows Pope to join his army. But Halleck just was not the kind of leader that that uh, Lincoln really wanted. Um, you know, when it comes to Gettysburg, and, and this is very controversial, Jerry, you know this mm-hmm. as well as I, you know, after the Battle of Gettysburg, you know, Lincoln was beside himself in terms of me not being more aggressive in going after Lee's retreating army. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of good reason to for him, for me not to have been, um, you know, as aggressive as Lincoln wanted him to be. And, and quite frankly, when you're in the field, it's very different than when you're sitting behind a desk in the White House. So I saw strengths in terms of Lincoln, but I also saw a lot of um, weaknesses in terms of perhaps him taking, trying to take too much of a role without having the background knowledge and, um, you know, just not having enough information on what was really happening. He he was, um, I once wrote an article uh, about Lincoln taking actual command of the army after Gettysburg. And other points, because he, he he suggests that sort of, you know, not not seriously, but kind of uh, throwing it out there sort of way. Uh, and and I, I see where you're coming from. He definitely does express a frustration with Meade after the battle. Uh, and as you point out, he writes that that letter criticizing Meade, and then has the the, the, the self awareness not to send it. Uh, right. Be, right. Because it would but, not you know, the, the, help things. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it, but, you could, know, the the yeah. other piece is. I'm, I'm sorry, Jerry. No, no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say one of the one of the real negatives of Lincoln's leadership was he had an open door policy where people mm-hmm. would come, whether it was Lincoln, whether it was McClellan, would come behind their back, and whether it was accurate or not, have an audience with Lincoln and say, you know, Meade is a terrible commander. Uh, he should have done this. He didn't do that. You know, whether it was Sickles, whether it was Doubleday, mm-hmm. um, he lent an ear to them and sort of gave them justification to, you know, to criticize. And, and oftentimes he took their their opinions verbatim and, and he used it to formulate his own ideas, which I think is a real is dangerous for any leader. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. He did listen to. Uh, the first people to come back from Gettysburg, and that includes people like Sickles, uh, for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, and that that certainly did influence him. He, as you say, he was hungry for information. He was always trying to find out yes. what's happening at the front, and and he would mm-hmm. hear those people. Um, let me ask uh, a different question about the the uh, the audience for this book. Uh, yes, because you you address it in the be- beginning of the book. You you point out there's really, it, it's really almost two books here. You, you you said this is 500 pages. I'm looking. Yeah, it's 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 almost 500 pages. Uh, listeners, don't be uh, 
don't be what what's the word I'm looking for? Not discouraged, uh, overwhelmed by or the thought intimidated. of a 500 page book. <laughs> yes. Intimidate. That's the word I want. Um, don't be intimidated. Uh, there, there's there's a substantial bibliography. There's index, uh, but much of it is is charts and maps in which you compare yeah. the campaigns, and then at the right. same time there's narrative of the campaigns. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost as if there are two different books here. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the bottom line, as an educator, you know, I always think about, and even though I'm retired, I'm always going to be an educator. I right. think about how do I best convey information? And, you know, when, you, when you're going Maryland campaign and then Pennsylvania campaign, and then you move to the next chapter and you're doing the same thing, I didn't want people to get confused. And that's, mm-hmm. to me, the power of the book is those 23 charts where right. it talks, for instance, about Lee's army and, and um, the Union army at Gettysburg, at Antietam, in terms of the size, in terms of number of regiments, in terms of experience of the leaders, in terms of the artillery. I mean, you know, that to me, that's, you can just look at, you can look at the table mm-hmm. and really get a great idea of, of how they compare and what I did in the text was actually just explain, you know, the, give the background information. And then, you know, the, the summary is, is at the end of each chapter with these tables. Right. And, and you, you say in the introduction, the experienced reader can go ahead and just, you know, read the tables and the maps and read the summary. Right. Um, we already know, you know, the narrative outline of what happens at these battles. And I found myself doing that on occasion uh, as I was going mm-hmm. through this. And I think most listeners, uh, if you're listening to this show, you, you, you've probably read Stephen Steers or you've read Coddington about Gettysburg. Uh, you, you probably know the basic outline of the battle. And so you also right. might be tempted, listeners, to do the same thing, just go to the, the tables and charts. Um, I, I'm not sure how many... Uh, first-year students were going to get with a book like this uh, for whom you provided this narrative. I, I, I found when I was actually reading the narrative, it, 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 it gets pretty far into the weeds in some cases. Uh, you know, We're yeah. talking about regiments. Um, so I'm thinking, uh, this is not a book I'm going to show someone, say, here's your first book on Gettysburg. Right, uh, right. Although but, I I, mm-hmm. I I don't know Jerry I I think if somebody just reads the the Gettysburg the Pennsylvania campaign section right uh, and not even looking at Antietam right I tried it to, that then I tried that the book to I tried for a book to be as comprehensive as I could in terms of mm-hmm. you know what's the war like at that point in 1863. How did the armies get to the battlefield? What were the what was the battlefield like? Um, what happened during the battle? Um, what was the retreat? You know, what did what was the comp- composition of the armies? So um, I don't know. Uh, for me, it was really not knowing who's going to read the book. And as you indicate, some people like yourself are going to know a lot about these various campaigns. I might just say, okay, I know this stuff. I'm just going to skip over, but I'm going to look at the summary. But for mm-hmm. those who are not as conversant about an, an aspect of each campaign, might want to read the whole, you know, the whole volume. Well, the, I guess my thought there 
as you said, if you just read the Gettysburg parts all the way through, or just the Antietam parts all the way through, you'd have a really good grasp of what happened in the battle, amplified mm-hmm. by your analysis and comparison. Um, it, it, there were times I thought, this is this is not one good book. This is like three good books. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, now, of course, if you publish it as three separate books, is the reader going to pick up both two of them at the same time to get the comparative right. effect, you know, or right. would you have to repeat right. the tables in both books? So that might not mm-hmm. work either. I, I don't have an answer for you. I, as I was reading, no. I just kept thinking, man, that I see where you're trying to go. You really want to reach all these audiences, and you've got all this great material, and mm-hmm. and uh, what a challenge to, to try to reach them all uh, with one book. But listeners, you can get this book because you can you, – you know about the campaigns. You can pick and choose what you want to read. Um, let me ask a different question. What did anything surprise you as you were putting these comparisons together? Where you you suddenly said, "I never thought of that until I looked at it this yeah, way." Yeah, yeah, a few things. I mean, for instance, one of the big differences, and I knew this. I think most people realize it is the condition of the armies um, before each campaign. Um, you know, after uh, Second Bull Run, there was no chance for Lee's army, for McClellan's army to rest. At Gettysburg, you know, they had about a month to take it easy. Um, the starting point, you know, you're talking about the around Fredericksburg during the Gettysburg campaign. You're talking about Northern Virginia, so a shorter march. I mean, that is kind of, you know, I think intuitively... You know that about each campaign, but when you put them together, it's like, wow, okay, that that makes more sense. But some of the things that were surprising, for instance, was the um, the, the nature of the armies themselves. For instance, well, we only Brad, had thirty. L- oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Right, let me step in because that that's a big point that I, I wanted to ask about the condition of the armies themselves. Yeah. And I see mm-hmm. by the clock we need to take a quick break here. So let's okay. jump back in on that point in just a minute. We're going to take step away for just a moment, come back and talk more with our guest, Bradley M. Gottfried, author of Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Bradley M. Gottfried, author of Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. In the last segment, we were talking about some of the surprising observations that emerge when you make this comparison. And Brad, one of them you said was on the condition of the armies as as the campaigns began. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um... As I mentioned, um, the armies were in much better shape at the onset of the Gettysburg campaign. They had a chance to rest, uh, in, especially in the case of the Union Army, um, a better chance to be resupplied after Chancellorsville in early May. But Antietam, it was, there was no rest. And so the arm, both armies were pretty well exhausted and beaten up. When you think about Lee's army, and McClellan's army, actually, you know, down in the peninsula, having to come up, fight Second Battle Bull Run the end of August, and then almost immediately um, get right back into uh, the campaign for uh, the Maryland campaign. And so the, the men there were exhausted. The, the size of the armies were much, much smaller. Uh, straggling was a major issue in the Antietam campaign compared to the Gettysburg campaign. In fact, it was so bad that both McClellan and Lee issued general orders against straggling um, to the point where they were about ready to shoot any straggler who um, fell by the wayside. You didn't find those general orders uh, before or during the Gettysburg campaign. Uh, the, so the, the, army, the armies were in worse shape. They were much smaller Mm-hmm. At Antietam, the uh, Confederate Army, 36,000. Um, at Gettysburg, you know, over 70,000. And um, for the Union Army, about 56 or so thousand, 58,000. At Gettysburg, over 90,000. But what I find fascinating, Jerry, is if you look at the number of divisions that Lee has at Gettysburg versus Antietam, you would think, you know, his army's almost double the size of, at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. But he's got the same number of divisions. He's got mm-hmm. nine at Gettysburg. He's got nine at Antietam. And if you look at the number of regiments, he actually has fewer regiments, this is Lee, at Gettysburg than he had at Antietam. And the difference is that Antietam, some of those regiments had less than 100 men, whereas mm-hmm. by Gettysburg, they were pretty well bulked up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was uh, some of the major differences. The armaments were different. The cavalry was different in terms of how they were organized. I mean, major differences between those campaigns in terms of the army, in terms of supplies of the supplying the armies. You mentioned the armies at Gettysburg are much bigger. And, and as you describe in the book and show at the maps, the battlefield of Gettysburg is much bigger. 
Although, yes. in the text, uh, you say that Antietam was, was like, the, the part where the fighting takes place is 2.8 square miles, Gettysburg about 12 square miles, mm-hmm. but even if looking at the map you have in your book, that shows 22 square miles of Gettysburg, and it doesn't include the East Cavalry Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was the 12 square miles a, a typo? It, it, isn't Gettysburg could have way been, bigger than that? It could have been. I, I may need to look that, at that again. <laughs> Yeah, that that yeah. wouldn't caught my but, eye because because okay. I know you know the battlefield well. Um, well. Let me ask a different question though about the two battles. You you make a really interesting comparison by breaking them both into three phases, and we all know Gettysburg is a three-day battle, so that's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then you compare, you divide the day of Antietam into three separate phases, and you suggest there's a similar rhythm in the two battles. Well, that is probably the weakest part of the book. You know, I couldn't do a comparison of the two campaigns and not talk about the actual battles, but it's hard when you have a one day battle Mm -hmm. at Antietam and a three day battle at, at Gettysburg. And so somehow I had to divide up and so I could, you know, Antietam, so I could compare it with the battle of Gettysburg. And, uh, it worked pretty well on, um, July one at Gettysburg and the early morning, uh, northern fields at Antietam. It worked pretty well uh, on day three at Gettysburg and the final attack and the um, you know burnt and, and crossing the lower bridge by the mm-hmm. Union forces of the Ninth Corps, where it really broke down. And I know you're going to get me on this. Is um, the second day at Gettysburg? How do you compare that with the sunken road? You really can't. And so um, you know that was. Uh, you know, that was that was a stretch, and I realized that, and I tried to explain that during the book. But one of the things that I found so fascinating that I didn't know about mm-hmm. was comparing on, on the third phase of the battles how um, if you look at Pickett's charge versus Burnside's final attack, the mm-hmm. similarities of those two actions are just amazing in terms of the number of troops involved, in terms of the, you know, it was the last major action in terms of, um, you know, how this could have been the the, the knockout punch, so to speak, in, in both campaigns. Mm-hmm. Well, that that did strike me as interesting because you, you write that the defender has all the luck in these cases, uh, it, it really throughout the battles, uh, yeah. And the, the the, but you also show, and, and this gets to something that I've argued in 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 books, in in, in a book and uh, in articles and lectures elsewhere, that I would argue that there's a a such a systemic advantage that for the defender in Civil War battles mm-hmm. that they all follow this similar rhythm where the attacker nearly breaks through. Mm-hmm. But can't quite coordinate sufficiently to defeat the defender, who's usually on interior lines, and you show exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. right. that, that you know, Lee, and it's not because of the the personnel. Uh, you, you show that Lee coordinates his army beautifully at, at Antietam, but Meade does the same at Gettysburg, moving forces yeah. about to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Lee doesn't coordinate at Gettysburg, nor does McClellan at Antietam. That's correct. So, so that would suggest that since Lee is the constant uh, to take a scientific approach, if that's not changing, then it's not the personnel that causes the failure of coordination. It's the fact attacking armies just can't get it together. 
Yes, and, and Lee had an aversion to being on the defensive. He did very well mm-hmm. at Antietam. I mean, he almost got beaten at Antietam, but he, mm-hmm. he persevered at Fredericksburg. He did very, very well. Right. Um, but, we, but, you know, Chancellorsville, on the offensive, he did well. But at Gettysburg, as you said, you know, it's tough to be on the offense, especially if you have a smaller army, as yeah. he did at Gettysburg. Yeah, I, I guess I, as I'm reading this and, and seeing these comparisons, especially in your conclusion, I'm thinking I'd like to write a book where we compare 40, well, we don't have 40 major battles, 30-some major battles, and do what you've done, not in the same detail, because that would be 30 times 500. We're looking at 15,000 yeah, pages. Quite a few books. <laughs> we don't want to get there. Uh, but just the, the, the summary comparisons to show how these similarities to, to see where there are real commonalities across all these battles, right, uh, and, and where there are, 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 are you know things that, that remain constant, and where you can factor something out. Of course, Lee, is, Lee at Gettysburg is not Lee at Antietam. They're different people on different days, but you can at least say if the same person is in charge, then it's not clearly the leadership difference that made the, the difference. Oh no, that's that's very true. I would agree with you there. So, well, let me ask a, a different question. Um, this book is published by uh, Turning Point Publications of Fayetteville, Pennsylvania. Is that uh-huh. is that you? Um, that is us. Yes. What um, What happened was the Point Lookout uh, book that you um, interviewed me about a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, and this one. As many, I'm seeing more and more Civil War authors, historians who are self-publishing mm-hmm. and uh, where you have full control over the editorial process. I mean, I hired editors. I went through the whole process that a publisher would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, 72 years old, uh, what breaks my heart is to see very good books go out of print. Mm. And it, that happens regularly. Mm-hmm. When you self-publish, um, whether and whether it goes on Amazon or uh, it's through, we did it through Ingram Spark. That book will always be in print, no matter what. And the nice thing, though, now Jerry, how many times? And maybe you haven't had this experience, but how many times does an author uh, they think that the book is perfect? And as you mentioned, for instance, in terms of the, um, you know, how many square miles the battlefield mm-hmm. was, it's like, oh, uh-oh, you're stuck unless they come out with a new edition. Whereas True. if you self-publish, you can simply, boom, change that manuscript and come out with, uh, with a revision um, in subsequent um, printings. That is definitely an advantage. I, I, I was thinking about that um, uh, whether there's risk to scholarship there, uh, somebody like you would be careful enough to say this is, every time you made a change, say this is the umpteenth printing, so yeah. that if I cite right. your book and say he says it's 12 square miles, uh, title, author, you know, third printing, and then you change it because you found some new information or whatever, so now it's different right. in the fifth printing, 
then at least somebody looking at that will say, oh, well, Jerry was looking at earlier printing. I see why he has a different number. Mm-hmm. It, a right. careless self-publisher would just change it and put the new one out, and you wouldn't know. It wouldn't be. It would be like like a website, you know, where you can't tell from day to day what what to rely on. That, right, and that is a potential negative. Also, I would never recommend self-publishing if for a brand new author who does not have a reputation. You know, I don't want to beat my chest and say I've written thir- seventeen books and virtually all of them except for two have been um, published by recognized publishers. But right. I think you need to have um, some sort of reputation that it's going to be a quality work, that it's been um, reviewed, peer-reviewed. And, I mean, I paid peer reviewers to look at the – review the book and really tear it apart. Um, maybe not that one section as well as they no. should have. But, you but know, that- I, I just – I think publishing is changing, and the publishing world is changing I've known too many newer um, authors who have gotten very discouraged with the whole process of, you know, working with publishers. And I don't want to discourage, you know, the publication world and and recognize publishers. They're very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I do my map books, they will always be published through a recognized publisher because I don't have the wherewithal to get them printed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're printed overseas. And, right. But whereas these books, uh, I can do it fairly easily. And it's interesting the number of recognized authors, I don't know, Jerry, if you know many, mm. who are uh, maybe not all of their books, but many of their books, they're moving to this format, this approach. I, I think it's what well, you said is very interesting because in my notes I said, uh, you know, Brad's published with many reputable presses. Uh, ask him why do self-publishing, and your your mm-hmm. point is exactly right. I think a beginning author who does that is making a huge mistake because I, I'm not going right. to read their book. I'm not going to. Right. I don't have the time to to be their peer reviewer. But you you sent yours out for peer review. I when I mm-hmm. published with a trade press, it wasn't peer reviewed, so I did the same thing you did. I sent it to peers and said review this mm-hmm. and to tear it apart. Right. Um, right. But. But a beginner might not know that and uh, and wouldn't do it. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. I, it's always a pleasure talking with you, uh, especially about the nuts and bolts of how these things are produced. Uh, li- listeners, the book is called Lee Invades the North, A Comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg Campaigns. Uh, the author is Bradley M. Gottfried. If you're familiar with Brad's other books, you know you'll want to read this one, too. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for coming back to Civil War Talk Radio. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time, Jerry. I really appreciate it. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.